Welcome to the Juggernaut Podcast, powered by the number one Remax real estate franchise in the world, Remax Gold. The Juggernaut Podcast is dedicated to helping real estate professionals and beyond become an unstoppable force, a juggernaut. We believe when the real estate professional thrives, everybody wins. Released the third Wednesday of every month, each episode will leave you inspired, energized, and ready to be unstoppable. Want to learn more about the Juggernaut Podcast? Go to www.juggernautpodcast.com. Here are your hosts, Stephanie Flood and Anthony James. Hello, Gold Nation. I'm Stephanie Flood. I'm here with my co-host, Anthony James. Anthony, say hello to our audience. Hi, Stephanie. Hello, Gold Nation. Good to be back. We have an extra special episode for all of you. I want to introduce our guest and then tell you a little bit about her before we dive in. So our extra special guest today is Bev Kendall. Bev, do you want to say hello to Gold Nation? Hey, Gold Nation. How are you? So I know that you all know Bev, but I think we're going to learn a little bit more today and we're going to get some amazing lessons in leadership. So make sure you got ready to take notes here. So Bev, can you get us started here? Give us a little bit of your background, how you joined Remax Gold, and how you got to be our chief relationship officer. That's a pretty cool title. You got to admit, <laughs> you know, chief relationship officer. Um, so I, I, I got my license back about 30 years ago uh, and immediately went to a local independent company in El Dorado County where I live, uh, still live today. And I went to this company because I had heard that they had a really good training program. And in fact, it was a really good, solid training program. Um, I did not work as an agent for very long because I found myself kind of yearning to be part of a team. You know, I've always been really interested in business, how things work. And being an agent in those days that we didn't really have teams to speak of, maybe husbands and wives, and but that's about it. Um, but I, I just found that I missed the interaction in business with uh, multiple people. Um, and so probably coincidentally, the my broker at the time, um, John Pearson, who I learned a lot from, may he rest in peace, um, he, he suggested that I take a management course, that there was a training program at, at Cook & Cook at the time. And was I interested? And I said, sure, it sounds like fun. Um, I was in a, a class then, and I think from those of us who graduated this management training course, two of us were offered jobs, and uh, I began my management career back about 27 or so, eight years ago. Um, I have always enjoyed it um, very much, and I always yearned to do more. And so once I became a manager, I said, hmm, I think I want to manage more than one office. And then once I managed more than one office, I wanted to do more and more and more. And along this path, after the local independent company, I took a little break, started a little business, sold it. But then I decided to get back into real estate. It's, I guess, you know, for some of us, it's just like in our blood. And so I uh, was looking around for a company uh, in my town. And uh, when I was an agent at Cook and Cook, I actually listed a home that Tim Yee and his family bought, and they still live there today. 
I got to know Tim and Cheryl and their kids pretty well. And um, I knew Tim was the vice president at Remax Gold, and I knew James was the president. And James had a, a brokerage, a little boutique brokerage in El Dorado County as well, so I got to know him. He had a very uh, a respected small brokerage. Uh, he'd had a lot of quirky ways of doing things that I really admired, that James and Patrick O'Brien. And then Tim, what's not to love about Tim? So I, I knocked on Tim's door. I said, hey, you, wanna, you want a manager? You guys looking for a manager? And uh, that's when it started. And uh, the path in Remax Gold has been one that I cherish in my life from, you know, starting out at Cameron Park as a ma- rookie manager. Shout out to all my friends there. Sorry for the way I managed you because I wasn't very good at the time. I know that. Um, to, you know, I, I managed uh, Cameron Park and then El Dry Hills and then moved down the hill, uh, managed Madison, Sierra Oaks, uh, I think even Elk Grove for a short yeah. period of time. And um, I always have always wanted to do more. I want to do better. I want to do more. And uh, realized uh, that working in Sacramento, even though that went a commute for me, was kind of where I could really you know, learn a lot more about, you know, flatlanders and you know, managing <laughs> in the city, you know, right? Um, and uh, kind of that's my story. So I managed one thing after another and became, you know, VP of sales at one time. I've, I think I've had like every title in the company. Right. I don't you know. have done it all. <laughs> For sure. Uh, and, um, you know, today I, I get to enjoy the title of uh, chief relationship officer and and, uh, and, and, and how I value the, the relationships that I've built here. It's been wonderful. Such a great story, Bev. You know, you've, um, you've done so much for this company, and I think anybody listening that has gotten to know you has certainly come to love and appreciate all of the leadership qualities that you bring to Gold Nation. Uh, I know I am absolutely thankful for your leadership. And, you know, my journey into leadership started about eight years ago. And as an agent, I, like you, was always kind of looking for, you know, I want to do more. What is that? And it wasn't until I found leadership that I really, like, scratched that itch. And I found so much joy and fulfillment in my leadership journey. And so I'd love for you to just kind of, you know, talk about what it is about leadership that really kind of scratched that itch for you and continues to be that fulfillment in your career, at least part of it. And so what about leadership is it that really does it for you? That's a really good question. I think in the beginning, I mean, I've, I've matured, um, as a leader, thankfully, uh, and I think in the beginning, I, I, I saw leadership really as, as what I would classically disca- dis, uh, describe as management today. You know, I, I, um, it was kind of like a command and control. I get to tell you what to do, then you do it, and then I get to go check with you. Did you get that done? And that's it. And I didn't, I think that's what I, <laughs> I mean, I kind of like telling people what to do. I mean, I have to <laughs> be honest about that, but, but. But that it was it was simplistic in the beginning, and then I realized that telling people to do wasn't really the best way to get it done. And and I think that's when I began this path of helping people um, rather than just telling them what to do. Um, and, and and I and I I'm not really sure. I've always been really intrigued by how people think and how things work. I like puzzles, you know, I like jigsaw puzzles a lot. I just like how that is. And so 
as I began my career in management and because I was a manager and I and I think about why did that not work? You know, why did I get that reaction? Is that the reaction I wanted? I really began to think very carefully about about what makes people tick. And 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 that's that's when I really came alive. You know, that's when I just I was hooked, you know. Let me help people. That's that's what did it for me. I can uh, wholeheartedly relate to enjoying telling people what to do and having that not work out so well. So, uh, yes, definitely understand that. But you've been the one to teach me a lot of those lessons that, hey, don't do it this way. Maybe you want to do it this way. And I've had many of those conversations with those questions where I know darn well you know what the answer is to the question, (laughs) but I know why you're asking it. And every time we talk, I learn something. I, I really hope that our listeners today learn something from this conversation because I know that I'm still going to learn more just from being able to talk to you today. So what I want to know, how that leadership journey, how you went from learning not to tell people what to do, but instead really having their best interest at heart and wanting to help people, how has that professional journey essentially helped affect your life? I'm a better person because of it. Um, I think there's nothing like having to teach something that makes you better, right? Uh, as a as a as a leader in a company or in any job, a teacher uh, for for years, I, I taught at a technical school, and if I you know in order to stand up in front of a classroom and teach something, you really had to know it inside and out. And the same thing exists for me as a good leader. If I'm going to be a good leader, I darn well better show you how to do that. And I. And I, I think it's the same, it's kind of the same thing when I became a parent. You know, that really makes you a better person too because you can't go around being a slouch unless you expect your kids to be a slouch, right? I mean, so, so I think teaching something helps you become a better person. And so in order to exemplify that which I wanted from everyone else, I had to be it myself. And that's improved my life substantially. You know, Bev, I, uh, I really enjoy kind of that philosophy of teaching in order to learn something. And I can, you know, that, that message just resonates with me. I found myself, you know, as I would teach others, it really forced me to become the better student so that I was able to teach it. I just love that, you know, kind of philosophy of leadership. What was it, you know, was there a moment in your career that really stands out in your mind as like, this aha moment that kind of turned you into the student first and then the teacher? I have had, I think as everyone, you know, multiple times in my life where I look back and said, you know, that, that experience really changed me. There is one that I think that I think of that really made me a a better, well, a better human being and and a better leader. About 25 years ago, I, um, I had a, a, a tumor. This is a kind of a personal story, but I'll make it quick. I had a benign tumor removed from my spine. Uh, and I knew it was benign going in. It was kind of like an elective sort of surgery, although the tumor was close to my spine and they were worried that it would start causing some problems. So I went into the hospital. 
And I actually thought of it as, oh, I get to go into a hospital and take a nice long vacation, a week's vacation. I was supposed to be in the hospital for a number of days. And I got a new bathrobe and it was all awesome. You know, I had kids at the time and I just thought, wow, I had a little rest and relaxation. Well, uh, a mistake happened at the, at the hospital. The doctor admitted to the mistake and I was left paralyzed. I was paralyzed from the waist down and spent, uh, I think, over a month, I don't remember exactly, a month and a half in the hospital, probably months, of, well, months, maybe a year of physical and occupational therapy afterwards. I was told at the time I would not walk again, and uh, I walked into this room, so there you have it. Um, and I, it was an experience that I often say I would not wish on my worst enemy, but it was a gift to my life. Um, I spent uh, hours in a, in a, a, a group, uh, all uh, spinal cord injuries uh, of various degrees, uh, uh, paraplegics, quadriplegics. There was a group of six of us, uh, just very quickly, a, a football player, a cervical spine injury, had one of those halos, it was drilled into his head, right? A quadriplegic who had a a terrible spinal injury, a home accident, a barbecue blew up and his shards of stuff in his back. I mean, it's just, you know, really, really nasty. A, a rock climber, um, uh, I can't remember. But anyway, all these different uh, degrees of, of, of spinal cord injuries. You know, you learn a couple of things there. First of all, you know one of the things I learned, which was, I'm a tough cookie. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little woman, but I'm kind of tough, you know? I mean, when the, when the chips are down, I would, you know, I had all these, you know, cords hanging out of me and, you know, IVs and stuff. And do, the therapist is telling me to move my leg that I really couldn't move and sweat's pouring off my, you know, head and I'm, and I'm working it, you know? And I'm there, that was really gratifying to know that when the chips are down, I can be tough, physically tough. That was my lesson number one. Lesson number two was this idea that I was with these six uh, or five other men. They were all men, coincidentally. And we all had different backgrounds and different stories. None of that mattered. We were stuck there in this time of the most stress in our lives. A time of we did not choose this. It had happened to us all. And here we were. And we had numerous conversations because we'd go into these occupational therapy courses and we'd throw beach balls and pull on ropes and do all this, you know, like ropes courses for those in wheelchairs. And um, it, it, was, it was sad and funny all at the same time. It was comical. It was uh, just irritating and exasperating. But I learned that you know, without the trappings of, you know, the, the suits and what there's one person who was a truck driver and a football player, a person who owned his own business is pretty well known in the business world, you know, flying in private jets. And yet we didn't know any of that. We, we, we lost all the trappings of society and what the expectations were of each other and what we did for a living. We were just there people in the, in the most severe, stressful time in our lives and working our way through it. And what I saw was that, first of all, humor is so important in getting through stressful times. The laughter, the jokes that we told about ourselves, not that, that was just so, so powerful. And 
what I watched is everybody living in a hospital is no fun as a patient. And, and so everybody wanted to get home and they had all these little rules and in order to go home, you had to get over these hurdles. You had to, for me, I had to be able to roll my wheelchair in, in grass, which is hard to do. And there are all these little, you know, hurdles they give you and they check up, check it off. And then, and what I saw was that the degree of our injury did not have anything to do with how fast we got over those hurdles to get home. What I noticed was it was, it was people's attitude. The, the, the quadriplegic that I described, his goal was to be able to move his index finger so he could have an electric wheelchair that he could move with his index finger. He was the funniest among, among us. He got home the fastest because, man, did he want to move that index finger. So... What I learned is that, I mean, it's, it's tr- it sounds kind of trite today, but really, you have a choice. Life gives you, you know, some pretty uncomfortable things sometimes, and you can choose. You can wallow in self-pity, uh, you can get angry, and you can get mad, and you can continue down that journey, or you can uh, face it and be happy, lick your wounds, and move on. I chose to lick my wounds and move on. Um, that's what I learned about people. I learned we have choices. I learned that humor is incredibly important. And I learned that I'm kind of a tough cookie. That is such a mic drop mic drop moment. I don't even know what to say to that. I just, I want to make sure that sinks in really with our audience. The power of the story that you just shared in, in A, sharing that personal of a story, but those lessons. So, Okay. I just I want to make sure that we got that because it really is an important moment to me that that we heard that. Uh, my favorite part of that though is that you said I think I'm kind of tough. I'm sorry. Did you say kind of? <laughs> I, I didn't know the details of that story before, and I would have already said very tough. Uh, yes, I, I I agree there <laughs> definitely. Um, you, speaking of being tough though, there was a a time in our industry, and you've been through several of them. Lucky you. But there was a time in our industry back in uh, what I would refer to as the fun of 2007 to 2011, when uh, being tough was really the only way to to survive in that time. So I'm curious how that adversity, which pales in comparison to the story that you just told us, by the way, and really puts things into perspective for all of us, but how being in our industry in that time and what was happening in our world with families that were being affected and, and people in the economy and how that affected people on an, an um, incredibly personal level. How did that time help you to grow? Did that change your outlook or perspective, either business or, or otherwise? Yeah, it is not the easy stuff that defines us. It's the hard stuff. And I think in those of us who have been you know successful in our careers, I, I wasn't nearly as successful a salesperson as, as others in our company are today. Um, but you know, you, you get the gift of gab and, you know, you know, you know, the stuff that you can do, but you know, that doesn't really define you. What defines you is when the chips are down, you know, what do you do? I imagine that was a tough, tough time. And we, we all, those of us who are working in the company today have much, much to thank James O'Brien for because of his prudent fiscal management. Um, he has taught me a lot in my career, uh, I think I think it was from one of the conversations I had with James. Um, I 
there were really tough decisions to make that did affect families and lives in a variety of ways. And what I, what I, no matter what the conversation was, I had a, I had a mission. And what I recognized was that the company, I, I'm, I like to visualize stuff. <laughs> I laugh at myself because I, I'm kind of quirky a little way. But you know how you see. Um, uh, uh, track stars and they, they, they're going to jump over the hurdles and you can watch them at the Olympics and you watch them, you know, their heads bobbing because they're imagining themselves like jumping over those hurdles as my head is bobbing now. Um, I like to do that kind of stuff. And so my visualization for the company is that it's a living, breathing entity. It has a heart and it's pounding and it's extending itself to others. Oh, this is getting so weird. But what I imagined during that very tough time was that this living, breathing entity, which feeds families and puts kids through college and provides, you know, vacations for people, it has to stay alive. That's what I kept saying to myself. This has to stay alive. And so I must do those things which will keep this company thriving so it'll be here like today, right? I mean, <laughs> um, and so as I had some very tough conversations with employees and agents and stuff, my goal in every conversation was to, I mean, because, you know, I, anybody went through it knows it was just ugly. But um, my goal in every conversation was to get a smile. That's really all I wanted. And if I could get a smile in a very difficult conversation with an employee or an agent, if we ended up smiling, then, then I, I felt like I was successful. Bev, you know, I want to go back uh, just for a moment. You know, you shared your, you know, kind of aha moment where you were going through a real challenging time personally. Um, we're talking now about this, you know, time in the industry where there was re uh, recession and it was a difficult time in business. You know, what would you have the audience here today? Because here we are again in a new challenge and we're, you know, 13, 14 months into, you know, the pandemic and we've got 2,700 plus agents that call Gold Nation home. And, you know, some folks have had different experiences through this pandemic. And so what would you, you know, encourage the audience? How would you encourage the audience today? I... This is a really tough time, and um, <laughs> I think on the on the one hand, um, I have I am very grateful for the time in the, my life that this hit. That I don't have children at home. <laughs> that I'm not trying to homeschool them and raise them and do all the things on top of keeping a job and selling a home. So. I'm, I'm kind of lucky in that way. It just, and I'm, I wasn't in a care facility 10 more years. I might be, who knows? Um, so, I mean, it, it just hit me at, at, at a relatively good time in my life. But again, it is that which is difficult, which defines us. It's not the easy stuff. Um, I, I, I think that, that again, a little bit trite in the world of leadership, but it is those feelings of gratefulness, the finding those little pearls in our life um, that, 
you know, we never would have found before. I mean, I do yearn to have my, I wish my kids were kind of back at little kids back. I've told Anthony this before, you know, it's, you're going through the best time in your life right now with little kids. Um, I really did want my little kids back, but I, they don't, they don't get younger. They only get older. Um, so I think it's just finding those times, those moments. And in a business like ours, where you get to help people, um, I, I think that that's, that's what you can focus on uh, and, and spend your time thinking about uh, and realize, too, that this pandemic, this too, shall pass. Um, uh, and, you know, hopefully, although I don't feel like, you know, we're out of the tunnel yet, at least we can see the end of the tunnel now. That gratitude message is such an important one and, and something that we really need to remember. And it's one of those things that in the course of day-to-day life, you can kind of forget from time to time. And I think that reminder is, is really important for us to, to keep that top of mind. You know, one of the things, and, and I don't know that everybody knows this about you, so I'm excited to kind of bring this up and, and totally change where we're going here. So bear with me, audience. It's worth it. When I think of you, I think of your views on um, gender neutrality in the workplace. And we've talked about this many, many times, but it's so timely with kind of the state of our world right now. And I I just want you to share a little bit of that with our audience, because I don't think that they all know that about you. (laughs) And I see that as so important and something that will really resonate with people. (laughs) That's so funny. See, Stephanie knows the soapboxes that I have. And so she just like says, okay, here's a soapbox called gender neutrality. Please get on it and talk, right? Um, Okay, so... So being a woman in business, I mean, I guess p- being a person in business sometimes is very hard. I have in my years, uh, gratefully not at this company, but at others, experienced my fair share of discrimination. Um, and um, I, 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 this is not an original thought. I know that I read it somewhere many years ago that the, that the business, that business should be gender neutral, that the the things we do for people in society to be kind and nice, the pulling out of the chair at the table, the opening of the door, the, I don't know, whatever else you do, men and women, um, that those things have no place in business to me. Now, what I also recognize is, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm different. Not all women feel the same way I do. But as I teach, I often talk to men about this because as I I share with them, you know, for me, shake my hand like you would shake a guy's hand. Just treat me like you would treat anyone else. Don't give me a soft handshake. Give me a regular handshake. If I don't like it, I'll pull back. But don't give me a soft one. If you get to the door first, open it. And if I get to the door first, I'll open it. I've got two arms. I can do it. Um, now, not all women sh- feel that way as I do in the in the business world. Um, but as I share with, oftentimes other male leaders, you got nothing to lose by thinking about it my way, because a woman who wants the door opened for her will stand there at the door. So yeah, go open it for her. A woman stands in front of the door. I'll go open it for her. You know, I'll I'll rush the guy. You know, let's both open it for her. I mean that, so it's really, it's a safer position in business that we all treat each other with the same expectations. Um, I'm, I, I really like uh, a lot of social science, you know, books and stuff and 
all of these trappings that, you know, we believe about men and women in the workplace. You know, women talk more. Guess what? Men, men talk more in business than women do. Um, that's, that's been scientifically discovered. <laughs> so so it, it's like we have all these trappings and these expectations about people. And if we do that, then we, we, if we expect something, if we, if we do that to people, then we're missing the story, their story. And that's the important thing. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> I love that soapbox. I, I know I have learned a lot of the things that you talk about, and it has really driven my perspective as a leader to look at things in a very equal kind of state, that we're all people in business. And in my communications, I'm so careful and so respectful to talk about people because that's we all have that in common. And I, I know I certainly have taken that from yeah. And not, not everybody has those, you know, those expectations or those, you know, the way they feel about people. And I'm not, not everybody's like that. And, and I think in, in, in society, there, there can be different ways of treating people. But in business, you know, don't expect that I'll be one way just because I'm a certain gender. Um, that's, I think that's where I... Again, step on the soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you are uh, such a, a student of leadership, as you've kind of talked about, and, you know, desiring more, wanting more, learning, being the student to become the teacher. And, you know, right now we're talking about gender neutrality. Have you always kind of been wired that way? Or was there a, a book or an author or something that you read or, you know, that started to shape that in you? And how has your leadership as a whole just kind of changed over the decades? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, first of all, I am of the age that I will share with you that I am a child of the 60s. Um, I went to college during the time when we were throwing rocks at the Bank of America uh, it was a great time to be a kid. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, you gotta love that, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, we were burning bras and throwing rocks at the Bank of America. <laughs> That's where I came uh -huh. from. So, so maybe, you know, maybe my position there isn't all that surprising. Um, um, so, so I, I think that that's, that's part of, you know, where I, where I come from. I do, I was in a, a panel, you know, gosh, like last year, and I was asked a question about leadership, and I, I even categorized that myself, that today I am a student of leadership. Um, I believe I will always be a student of leadership because I'm always, you know, looking to get better. And, and, and I, I read a lot about, you know, about leadership. I, I, I do a lot of things. Um, I, I read, because I'm, I'm interested in what makes people tick, you know, going back to that hospital experience, what makes one person, you know, want to get better and one person want to wallow in self-pity? You know, what is that all about? And can I help the wallower not want to wallow anymore? Um, so that's kind of how my brain, my brain works. Um, and as a result of that, I read, I read a lot, uh, uh, uh I read, uh, I'm, I'm reading now, uh, well, actually, I've finished and I've, you know, marked it all up, a book about, about uh, uh, performance coaching, because I'm doing some coaching with some of the leaders. Um, I, I, really, I really like helping people help themselves. I believe in people's potential. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of Brene Brown. I really like her. I mean, she's really a, a kick in the pants. I mean, what's not to like about the phrase, uh, what is it, uh, 
uh, uh, embrace the suck. I mean, you got to love that, right? <laughs> and it's very base. So, uh, Brene Brown, Dare to Lead, good series, good podcast, by the way, if anybody's listening out there. Um, I also uh, uh, really, really like uh, Jim Collins, Good to Great, Built to Last, good books. I mean, nothing. But here's the book that I think I find myself quoting, you know, 30 years later. And it's a, it's a you know, well-read book, uh, Seven Principles of Highly Effective People by seven, Stephen Covey. And his discussion about time in a quadrant is something that I still talk to people today about. So I think, you know, that one's really impacted my life about how to see the things that I do, whether they're important or whether they're urgent, whether they're acting on them now or act on them later. Um, I think that's the one that's really kind of changed my life. So you touched on some of the performance coaching and how teaching is the best way to learn. So um, obviously you've been working and taking an active role in developing future leaders here recently. I'm kind of curious how that teaching and those conversations, not just not so much how they've affected those future leaders, but how they've affected you in your teaching. It is the greatest gift that I've gotten from this, from this company. Um, you know, I, I, I really see my journey here as in this company as a, as a, as a true gift. And, um, in the, in the, you know, twilight of my career now, I often think about, gosh, I wish somebody would have told me that, you know, a million years ago, right? I mean, I think we all do that. And so I, I am in the position where I get to kind of think about that, uh, you know, because James O'Brien said, what do you want to do? Because you can do it. Whatever you want to do, Bev, get to, you get to do it now. And so this is what I chose. I said, no, I'm not going to be around, but I want this company to be around. I want this company, this living, breathing thing to keep helping people and and providing a platform for the best agents and, you know, all that. I just want it to keep going. So how do you do that? You help other people get to good leadership positions. I mean, that's, and, um, you know, again, I, I, it's, the, I learn as much from everyone that I speak with that, you know, they say they learn from me. I, I would like to claim that I probably learn more than they do. So it's been, um, it's, it's really, really fun. It's really fun. Yeah. Bev, it's always an honor and a privilege to hang out with you and just kind of, you know, shoot the breeze, talk leadership, talk life. Um, thank you so much for joining us here today. What are, what are some final thoughts that you might share with the audience today? Um, I would like to share that we should all listen more, that when we're talking, we're missing out on hearing people's stories. So listen more, laugh more, make good choices, and go out and help people. Wow. Those are some pretty good ones. I'm, I'm taking mental notes over here to make sure that I don't miss any of those. Uh, yeah, I don't really know how to follow that up, Anthony. I think that kind of spoke for itself. Yeah, I think so. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Juggernaut Podcast, and we were joined today with the great Bev Kendall. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bev. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you. All right, Gold Nation. We'll see you guys next month on the Juggernaut Podcast. Take care. Thank you for joining us and listening to the Juggernaut Podcast. Our vision is truly to inspire our listeners to become an unstoppable force, not only in business, but also in life. 
to develop that juggernaut mindset that will embrace conflict, overcome adversity, and influence positive impact in the communities we live, work, and serve. It is time to awaken the juggernaut in us all. We look forward to bringing you another inspiring episode next month on the third Wednesday right here on the Juggernaut Podcast. Until then, take care and continue to be unstoppable.